Welcome back to Who's On Worst, a part of the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network. I am your host, Ashley McLennan. With me is my co-host, as always, Darby Robinson, and our intrepid producer, Brett Rutherford, on the the background input. So this podcast, if you are new here, is all about discussing the worst baseball movies out there. And to introduce our viewing pleasure or displeasure of this week, I turn it over to Darby. Hey, Ashley. Yeah, this week we are talking about Fever Pitch, the 2005 Boston Red Sox rom-com. So, if you do not know, the synopsis of the movie is... When Ben Reitman, played by Jimmy Fallon, a young teacher begins dating pretty businesswoman Lindsay Meeks, played by Drew Barrymore, the two don't seem to have a lot of the same interests, but they fall in love regardless. Their romance goes well until baseball season begins, and Lindsay soon realizes that Ben is completely obsessed with the Boston Red Sox. Though she tries to understand Ben's passionate team loyalty, eventually it threatens to end their otherwise happy relationship. Uh, so I got to admit something before we go into this. Uh, I know this podcast is about the worst baseball movies out there. Uh, this movie, actually, I watched it before ever becoming a big baseball fan. Um, and it is almost a movie that made me become a Boston Red Sox fan. Sorry, Rays fans. I know. Dirty words. Um, I love this movie. <laughs> I will argue with you. You can tell me. And I know Darby, you said your wife likes it too. She does. Um, she does. Uh, I will not argue that it's a good movie, <laughs> but I will say that for a movie that is now 16 years old, um, it holds up pretty well. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So this uh that synopsis was from uh Rotten Tomatoes, and I was kind of surprised. It's it's actually probably it might end up being the best critically acclaimed movie that we watch on this podcast. Uh, It's 65% on the tomato meter right now, 60% audience score, which are both in the positive. Uh, And yeah, especially coming after last week with the scout, this, this is a really competent film. It's like, it's, it's, it's not bad. It's not terrible. There are problems, uh, (laughs) but it's, it's very watchable. It is a perfectly enjoyable rom-com with a with a baseball flavor thrown in. Yeah, I, I'd say friends of mine and I, are, we do a Sunday night kind of remote viewing party. Um, and we've been going through a lot of old romantic comedies lately. Um, and so we've watched a lot of the, the Jennifer Lopez oeuvre, as it were. And man, uh, let me tell you, romantic comedies from the 90s and early 2000s do not all hold up. Um, If you have not recently viewed The Wedding Planner, starring Jennifer Lopez and Matthew McConaughey, let me tell you, that particular film is just rife with troubling, troubling issues. Um, And of course, like lots of stuff we're seeing now has really dated jokes, really inappropriate humor that wouldn't fly now. But I felt like there wasn't a lot of that in Fever Pitch. I think it's one of those things that's almost timeless in that, yeah, it's ve- it's about a very specific Boston Red Sox season. Absolutely, like in that sense, it's very much of a specific time frame. Um, but the story it tells about, I mean, it's based on a Nick Hornsby novel about football um, or rugby. I can't remember which of the two, so, but it's, it's- Yeah, football, soccer. 
Yeah. It's about Arsenal, if there's yeah. any Arsenal. There, thank you. Uh, starring, starring Colin Firth, like if you want a, a good rom-com there. Um, so it, it is a tale that bridges, you know, sports and bridges countries and is as old as fandom itself. So I think it just because it happens to be about the, the quintessential 2004 Red Sox season um, doesn't mean it's kind of stuck in that era. Yeah, I agree. It's, 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 I would say a nice, fairly as a movie, clear step below your Nora Ephron tears, your, and a, and a, probably a pretty good step below, uh, uh, any of your, your, uh, Brooks's like those, like a, more of a, a grown up adult, uh, romantic comedies yeah. that are, that are, you know, those more mature stuff below your when Harry met Sally sleepless in Seattle types, but it's, it's fine. It's, it's better than a lot of that that genre and i think the two leads do a pretty good job they have a pretty solid chemistry together drew barrymore and jimmy fallon who you know he he, he did not succeed as an actor nobody really liked. and this you can tell in this movie how unbelievably limited he is as an actor because there's just several points where he does snl character things in it like he does his Jimmy Stewart. His Jimmy Stewart one, yeah. Out of nowhere. And it's like, oh yeah, that's just a thing that he does on SNL. Yeah. It doesn't make sense in like the character. He just sort of starts going with it. But it's like, yeah, okay, that's one of the things. So he's very limited. But in this, it actually, it's very believable. It works. Even though he is a Yankees fan. So this is like the oh, opposite man. of the, this is the opposite of the Gone Girl Ben Affleck thing. It's like the, you know, crossover of. So it was maybe fandom. a bit of an acting stretch for him to pretend to love uh, love the Red Sox this much. He could, he was convincing. I bought it because um, he even there's that great line where she mentions seeing the Yankees toilet paper in his apartment, which I crack up about every single time I see this movie because um, it's such a stupid stupid line. Um, but that does explain something I made a note about. Like we're not we're not quite into the the story, but there's the scene where he and his buddies go to spring training. And they're getting interviewed on, on SportsCenter. And it's just like him and his friends acting like absolute juvenile imbeciles, ranking, you know, where the Red Sox are above, above sex, above teaching, about everything in their lives. Uh, and I made a note while watching it. And I was just like, well, I mean, this feels a little bit more like Yankees fans to me than anything else. I just think of all the great gifable moments of Yankees fans just in this, you know, exactly the gifts I'm talking about. <laughs> when I talk about Yankees fans and I'm like, it's just that come to life. For sure. Is there a movie like, I know in Fever Pitch, it's exaggerated a lot, but is there a movie that more perfectly describes the sort of, uh, irrationality of, of baseball fans than, than Fever Pitch does? No, it's, it is a perfect something. I mean, it, it takes it up to 11 at some points. Like there are absolutely guys out there and girls like Ben that have every inch of their, their space covered in memorabilia. I think every single person on this podcast has more than their fair share of baseball memorabilia hanging up in their houses. I have an entire office space like dedicated to nothing but baseball art and, you know, baseball everything. Um, but I think that it does it in two kind of phases and it does the overemphasis on it with pretty much everything about Ben and his life and his apartment and the way he handles dipping out season tickets. But the, the scene in this movie that felt the most real and the most perfect about how dedicated baseball fans are and how much that team lives in their hearts is the scene where he's 
sitting with his summer family, which I love everything about his like his fellow um, season ticket holders that he's gotten to know over decades of having these tickets. And they all start talking about the curse. And they're talking about the curse of the Mambino because like Lindsay's brought it up. She's bought all these books and she wants to learn. God help her. Uh, she wants to learn about the Red Sox. And she's like, do you guys believe this? The curse of the Bambino? And everyone's like, ah! Um, and they sit there and talk very specific memories, but they do it in that beautiful baseball short form that everybody has, where it's just like one or two lines, like a couple words about it. And everyone's just like, ah, Buckner. Like it's, it's such a perfect real summation of how baseball fans get that short form in between themselves and share those same kind of wins and losses. And it's just, it's it, in the entire movie, I think that might be my favorite scene where it's just these people who have known each other so long and are only connected by baseball, sharing that love in like almost a coded language. I think that is the, every scene in the, in, in Fenway with the, with that group works incredibly well. It works, it's very, it's done so in such a very kind of real, not movie way that, and there's a lot of stuff in the film with, with like his his friends or her friends where they're talking about baseball that actually do a pretty good job of sort of like bringing in a real fan experience of of how you talk about it with friend, with people or or where you can just like suddenly something like like sports like a baseball team could be an immediate bonding moment amongst strangers you know, seconds before. And if you did go to games with these people for years and years and years, they would be your family. They would, you would know, like, you know, they're, they're like this fam, this, uh, these, the people that got divorced, but they still come to the games and like people that like pass on and like this, this world kind of continues. And that's that weird magic that sports has that this film does a really job of doing where it actually captures that element in a, it, in not a rote way in like a, it doesn't feel very forced it feels very much like how the fandom exists there are scenes with it feeling very like written like i and a scene that i do like but the the draft day scene where they're divvying up who gets the uh, who gets the uh the which games yeah uh, get that extra ticket is a very like film scene it's a very movie comedy scene uh it's a fun scene but i do think the film is at its best when it's a little bit more earnest and not trying to be humorous where it kind of fails a lot is actually in so this is directed by the fairly brothers uh peter and bobby fairly who are academy award famous... winning. <laughs> yes yes academy award winning uh, Peter Fairley, what a world that in the the pandemic happened just after that. So I think that is to blame. Probably is what did I'm going to just for, say what did they win for again? Green Book. Oh, Green Book. Bobby Fairley, yeah. I don't think was involved in that. Oh, I think that's it was just right. Peter. Um, but yeah, they're more they're much more famous for a very different type of humor. Uh, Dumb and Dumber. There's something about Mary, me, myself, and Irene. Very big, very broad, very gross uh, shock humor. Uh, some of those are really funny. I will say they're, that's not entirely my sense of humor, but like Dumb and Dumber is still hilarious. Yeah. It's kind of perfect, but this film is very much not that except when they decide to throw in a Farley brothers joke, it makes no sense. And it really like, like took me out of it. Cause I'm like, Oh, this is like a very, you know, mature, like kind of just simple romantic comedy. And then there's like a, 
somebody shaving his balls scene. <laughs> like they're like, what? Like that doesn't fit in this film or the whole dinner scene where he's like eating. Oh, lobster. that's so obnoxious where he's got lobster fingers and he's like trying to block out the sound of somebody talking about. And he's movie. like starting to like, sh- like shout like a child. Yeah. Shades of uh, shades of Steve Nebraska. Oh, so sh- yeah. <laughs> and that's probably why it just, we're still in. Uh, yeah. We're still shocked by this Steve Nebraska eating scenes. These baseball films just cannot have food in them. It's, it's a nightmare every time. Um, but that's where I think the film does the subtle stuff really well. And then it, it does have some of these broad stuff that doesn't quite work. Uh, and that's sort of where the, I mean, I guess when the, when Peter Fairley decided to go very opposite type, he, you know, wins an Academy Award for Green Book, which is much more, you know, serious and not, I, there's no like exploding cows or <laughs> uh, explosive diarrhea or anything like that in that one. Yeah, I think like there's a lot of stuff that's handled well. I think that's a really beyond it's it's more romantic about baseball than I think it is about the relationship at the center of the movie. And I think it's very much a, an ode to a love for the game. Like the soundtrack is all you don't even have to be a Red Sox fan to know how integral like Tessie and Sweet Caroline and all of that is to the Red Sox experience. And I sat there with a friend of mine. I watched it with a friend who doesn't care for baseball. And so the second Tessie comes on, I'm like, did you know? Because I'm so irritating. I'm like, did you know that the Red Sox have a secondary mascot named Tessie because of how integral this song is to the Red Sox fan experience? And she's like, they have two mascots. And I'm like, oh, sweet baby angel. Don't let me get started on how mascots work because teams have so many. Um, But I think it's, it's so funny to see, like, just even based on that level, that it's so much about that experience of loving a team. And in this case, that specific team. Um, But what I really liked was how it plays off those notions of how fandom becomes so ingrained in you. Like there's the scene after they lose what their third game against the Yankees in the postseason, and the guys are out at the bar and they're like, they're ripped up. They're, they're torn up inside because they think the season's almost over. It's all almost done. They're one game away from being out of it. And they look over and they see like Johnny Damon and a couple of the guys from the team and they're sitting there having steaks and laughing. And these guys are like, they're furious. They're heartbroken and they're furious that these guys who make millions of dollars to play this game should dare be out enjoying a steak and a beer together when the season is on the line. And I think that's like actually the the light bulb moment for Ben where he's just like, it is just a game. And the greatest line in, there's a couple of really great lines and I made a note about most of them, but the best line is when he's sitting there coaching the kids baseball team and he's spilling his guts to this little eight-year-old kid. And he's just like, just, you know, railing about how unfair life is and how dare she not respect his love for the team. Would he, would she be mad at him if he was volunteering, building homeless shelters? And, and the kid looks at him and he's like, here's the thing. Here's the thing. You love the Red Sox, but have the Red Sox ever loved you back? And I think I felt that into like the absolute core of my being because that's such a truism about baseball. We love it with our whole hearts, but baseball will never love us back. Those are the the moments. I mentioned how like the, the Farley brothers have kind of like some humor involved in this. Yeah. The writers of this film they also wrote another baseball movie oh. that we will not do on this show what because was? it's maybe the best baseball movie of all time. And that's a league of their own. 
No. And, and they, that's the level. There's like a romantic quality of baseball that clearly is deep. Um, Lowell Gons and Babalu Mandel are the the writers, and they both they 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 have very talented writing pair. And but uh, uh, League of Their Own is is the other baseball film that they did, and that has that perfect level of what baseball means on an emotional level, rather than just a game. Yeah. And in this, I do and and listen, maybe maybe those guys did the shaving of the balls scene and the lobster scene. And it was the Fairley brothers who were like, we want the emotional bits in there. Who knows? I don't know. I'm just going to assume that judging by the other works, it maybe went the different way, but I agree like that. Um, there's also a scene where they're actually having a fight. He has another line that I really, really love, which was the, um, is there anything you cared about 23 years ago that you still care about now? Whereas like, he's been caring about the Red Sox this whole time. And it's, of this interesting level of fandom where it's it's such a commitment and that becomes the central uh you know um sort of like cleaver in the film that kind of splits them apart you know you need some sort of tension to to break up the romantic pairing and it's the fact that he is already in a committed loving relationship uh, sometimes abusive when it comes to emotional manipulation that sports can do to you, but he is already committed to a relationship and she is committed to him, but he is not committed to her in that same way. He's already committed to the Red Sox. And that is an interesting idea in like the Nick Hornby novel, the idea that, you know, how do you, how do you give yourself to, to two? Like, how do you, how can you, and how do you dilute that? So I think that worked really well in this film. And I, as a film, I will I was very impressed that it fall into a lot of the rom-com tropes that were very that are very cheap and very easy, uh, where it's misunderstanding, where it's like some, they see somebody and people are in a spot and it, nobody takes the second to say like, oh no, actually what's happening is this. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. There's nothing of that. The, the tension and the drama is actually fairly real. Mm -hmm. um, it's played up for laughs with his like hyper fandom, but really it is sort of this idea of he is very happy with his life the way it is. She is very happy with her life the way it is. And they are trying to, and as all relationships go, you both are sacrificing something to make that new relationship work. And it's how much does each person sacrifice and what is that new version and will they both accept that? And that's the big tension. And I think that actually is kind of beautiful. It's not, nobody's cheating on anybody. Nobody's even like afraid anybody's cheating on anybody. There's like a one scene where he kind of is there, but it's really immediately thrown away. It's never like an actual serious thing. It's entirely, can this person, and it's not even that he needs to grow up. It's that he just needs to care about her as much as he cares about the Red Sox. Yeah. And I thought that was good. I think you could have done this film in a lot of different ways in, in a much cheaper way. Uh, and I was very impressed that they actually kind of kept the, the drama where it needed to be. Um, and the humor, I think also like worked as, as kind of a light rom-com, but the drama always stayed pretty, pretty solid. Yeah. I mean, like the other kind of dramatic move of this movie was that there's a point where um, Lindsay asks Ben to go to Paris with her for the weekend. And he like immediately looks to the baseball calendar and is just like, oh, you know, we're one out of first. It's, it's July. Like my friend, you have several. And it's the Rangers left. coming to town. It's, you can skip, it's you can Mariners. skip early. It's <laughs> it was the Mariners, Mariners and then the Rangers. Yeah. And I'm like, it's, you can skip it. 
it's, it's the Paris. middle of summer and your trip. girlfriend wants to go to Paris and you're one out of first in the middle of summer. Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Ben. We need to have talk about this. But the dramatic part of that is that the reason she wanted him to go to Paris with her, a spoiler alert, this movie's been out for 16 years. So like, I mean, you've had, you've had your moment. Uh, spoiler alert, the reason she wanted him to come to Paris with her was because her period was late. And she thought there was a very real chance at 30 that she was expecting a baby with this guy that she's been dating for half a year, a little bit more than half a year, and wanted to share that news with him. And so he, there's a very real moment. She calls him from Paris later in the trip. Turns out that she's not pregnant. And he gets up and he puts away the tiny little Red Sox onesie that he's gone out to purchase. And I, that scene... I don't know why it guts me so much. Like it's just this, it, it, cause it shows that he does have that capacity to care equally mm -hmm. about both things that he wanted that opportunity to share that thing that he loved the most with somebody that he made. And mm -hmm. I thought that that was such a beautiful little honest moment that the first thing he would think to do as soon as he heard that his girlfriend might be pregnant is to run out and buy a tiny little Red Sox onesie. And I'm like, oh, like it hit. And that's where that's where, like I said, like that drama is so it it does work because he's not like a man. He he is sort of a man child, but he's not like he's not a bad person. Hmm. Like both these people have their their points of view are 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 fair, and you can respect both of their points of view. And I think in that in that like sort of sequence, it is sort of showing like his his love is he does care about her and he does care about the potential life they're going to create together and he does want to see a future with them that involves all of that and so i do like that neither of these characters are really villains no neither is is played as a like bad side like nobody is wrong i i don't think it's it, a lot of times this could have been like you know the busy businesswoman who needs to get serious or he is such a child he needs to grow he needs to stop caring about baseball and learn about real things she doesn't really want that and he doesn't want her to just you know give up on business it's sort of just like coming together and sort of sharing a little bit more and i think there is a there's a lot more like touch here that I was expecting from this film. I saw it only one time and it was many, many years ago. Uh, so I was kind of impressed, but the quality of the writing in this film is it elevates what could have been a pretty forgettable rom-com into something a little bit more. Uh, it doesn't fully ever get there. We can sort of talk a little bit about that. And I think a lot of it might be the the whole baseball side of things is is a little it's a, it's central but it almost could be a, almost a little bit more central yeah um but i i do think the drama works the the central story as a story i think works pretty well and uh the film works pretty well i i think your your point about her her kind of business approach is good because you're right in most rom-coms when women are very career focused it tends to be treated like a shameful thing like it's not something every Hallmark movie every Christmas time is yeah and I love Hallmark movies don't get me wrong but you're right like it is a crux of like she's too focused on her career whereas they really handle Lindsay buying for this promotion as something that's really important to her and it's really deeply part of her who she wants to be and what she wants to achieve it's part of her character 
Um, I think that like, that's the thing that you look at where they could have built a compromise with each other. Like she didn't need to go to three games a week. Like that's crazy. If you don't care about baseball and all your friends want tickets, like it very easily, she could have been going every Sunday with him to a home game or a weekend game, like a weeknight game here or there. I think the, the fact that she felt the need to bring her laptop to a game it, it kind of like, it shows that she wants to be there for him, but then it, that's the only point where she kind of gets shamed for it. Right. Mm-hmm. And she literally gets punished for it because she's not paying attention on the sidelines and she takes like a foul ball right to the head. And so I think that that's the only point where it's, it's played as being a super negative thing, but that's also her realization moment where she's just like, look, you care about going to all these games. I care about getting this promotion. Let's, do things our own way and i i think which is a nice mature way of doing it like that's also like a cool it's not like you have to choose it's it's very much like hey i just what if we both have this thing we like and we come together afterwards and we get to hang out with our like that's like a really like i'm like yeah this is kind of crazy this isn't like that's not the thing that splits them up in the film which it could have and it would have been really cheap and i would have been like uh that seems when when we start talking about the best and the worst things about this movie we'll talk about the thing that splits them up because it's insanity um it works within the context of the movie but it makes you absolutely want to throttle ben and i think that that's (laughs) i mean a factor but i think we're going to take a quick commercial break and when we come back we'll talk about how baseball was handled in the movie and kind of the parts that we really liked about it and didn't like and welcome back Uh, We've been talking about Fever Pitch, and uh, I think now we'll talk a little bit about, we we talked a lot about what works for us, but I think now we can get a little bit more into specifics of what really did and really didn't. And before the break, I talked a little bit about um, how much the thing that breaks them up drives me crazy in this movie. And there's always got, I mean, I write romance novels, so pro pro advice here. There's always got to be a drive apart. So for the come together to work at the end, there has to be something that breaks a couple apart. And of course, there's always going to be, I, like you said, Darby, there's always the tropes, right? Like, I think you're cheating on me, or I, I think you're lying to me, or I think whatever. In this case, what happens is that Ben compromises and decides to miss a home game in order to attend a party for one of Lindsay's friends. And it's a Gatsby 20s themed birthday party. And at the end of it, the timeline for this evening is very bothersome to me because the way it shapes up, the, the party must have ended at like eight or nine o'clock, <laughs> like, because they're home and in bed and have slept together and she's up making him a meal and the Red Sox game has not ended yet. So that's the thing that drives me crazy about that scene is that a party going on all night looks like they were dancing, should have been going home around one in the morning. And yet... The whole timeline of it is wacky, but he gets a call as she's off to make some supper for them. And it's a buddy of his who took the tickets to that night's game. And it's one of the craziest comeback games in Red Sox history. It's a night where they were down seven, nothing. They didn't expect to get anything out of it. Bottom of the ninth, scored eight runs, won the game. And this is not a championship game. This is just a very cool comeback in the middle of September. So Ben gets out of bed like he's just found out his dog has been run over by his worst enemy and proceeds to have an absolute meltdown at Lindsay about how missing this game has fundamentally ruined his life as a Red Sox fan. 
And I, I get it in the shock of the moment. It sucks um, to have missed such an epic game. But man, it's not like you missed game seven of the World Series. You missed one comeback. And they really hype it up, right? Like there's news broadcasters there. They're People like, are out in the streets yeah, celebrating. Here, you're missing the party of the year. And his buddy's like, you missed the greatest game of all time. And People like, are getting drunk in the streets chaos cops are drinking with kids you know yeah. <laughs> um, and like that that was a great that was a legitimately funny line though yeah. is that the cops are just <laughs> drinking with underage kids. kids yeah and you can almost picture it from boston police we've seen how they react to things going well at red sox games as a also detroit tigers fan it still hurts my life that moment that cop in the like in the bullpen cheers uh when um when poor tory hunter goes over that outfield wall i'll never forget it Oh, sorry, that moment. See, short form moments that live in the brains yeah. rent free of baseball yeah. fans. Um, but yeah, he goes from best night of my life to you've destroyed everything. And it does lead to that great speech about what have you ever loved for 23 mm -hmm. years? And like Lindsay has a great comeback for it. She's like, if I still loved what I loved 23 years ago, I'd want to be married to Scott Bio. Like, like it's, you know, yeah. it, but it's such a, a gutting moment for such a stupid reason. I think they could have done it better. I think I think the idea is sound that him choosing her over baseball like hurts. It, it like it he misses something big. Yeah. But that was not the the moment. Uh I guess he can't do it for a clincher because he would have he would have gone to that. Yeah, he wouldn't or, have missed it. And and but like maybe like a it, like a no-hitter or a perfect game. You're already inventing the game, right? They they didn't come back from eight runs. They didn't score eight runs with two outs down seven, nothing in the ninth in the 2004 season. Uh, and so I don't know, like that's, that's a huge game, but like, does that create, I, I agree. I don't think that creates that kind of pandemonium in Boston. It's against the Yankees. Sure. But like, does that create that? It's a big game. For, I don't know. for reference, I was at an LA Dodgers game where a very similar outcome actually happened. Dodgers were down, didn't look good, not that many runs, but like it was a bottom of the ninth, insane comeback, walk off victory. Everybody's losing their minds. And then we all filed out calmly to the giant bowl that is the parking lot outside Dodger Stadium and left. Like it's exciting. And I get that, like, the the area around Fenway is a very different vibe than the area around mm -hmm. Dodger Stadium. It's its own little village, it's very much like Wrigley and and stadiums mm -hmm. like that, where it's its own atmosphere. Those but, downtown stadiums, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it be nice? Overrated. <laughs> <laughs> as long as the downtown stadium that comes doesn't get built in Montreal, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but I think nobody wants to go after a game to get some poutine. Oh, hey, Kate. Hey, I don't mind. Come on. <laughs> Hold on. I want American poutine. Oh, nobody wants American. Poutine. I, want, I want pulled pork Cuban poutine. How about that? I don't discriminate to, to any form of poutine. I just want to make that clear. It just sounds amazing. See, so just off, off topic segue now that we're talking about this. Last week in Winnipeg uh, is was La Poutine Week. It's a, a week that we do every every year in across Canada. And um, all the local places will put together like a custom fancy poutine and you order them because obviously you can't eat in. Um, and some years you try a little bit harder <laughs> to try more. I only got one this year, but they come up with the most amazing like combos and different kinds That's of poutine awesome. and like a Cuban 
sandwich style poutine would be amazing. Getting drunk in Ebor, then finishing off a, a cube a, a Cuban poutine. That's that's the future I want to see for Rays baseball. Actually, uh, what do you mean? In, in my homeland, indoor dining is like the new thing again. Well, for us, it will be again tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, at very limited capacities. So. I, I have I have a thought on the whole uh, eight run comeback scene. To be to be fair to the movie, and I would not react the same way that Ben did. Nor would I. Nor do I think I'd feel the same way or feel as strongly about a situation like this as Ben did. But to be fair, this is like my biggest fear about going to do non-baseball or non-sports related things, whether it be with my girlfriend or with my family or with whoever, it's like missing out on the one moment because sports is like very much like, you know, if you didn't go see opening weekend of the movie, you can go see it the next weekend and have pretty much the same experience. You can't do that with a baseball game, uh, but I kind of like Darby's idea of like, oh, make it a no hitter or something, something that like really will go down in, in history uh, from like a national standpoint. But and the scene did hit me. I'm like, yeah, I have that FOMO. I go through that FOMO all the time, or or at least I have the fear of the fear of fear of I missing think out. It yeah. also just could have been like after the party. If there was that much time left, like would wouldn't game. they just watch the game or or like on the TV? Yeah, right. And then and then like afterwards, go like I don't think it. I don't know if like yeah it would it would be great to see that in person but like I feel like you'd come home and maybe you'd turn it on and it feels very like built in but yeah you know you need a scene I guess and eh. I I think that one I, I think for me that one is you know kind of gets built in there I I think a lot of the stuff that didn't work for me was when the film was trying to sprinkle in stuff that it wasn't I mentioned one of those scenes there's a couple of times where it just tries like a little bit a little bit goofier and a little bit different than the film it's there i i think the perfect blend of the kind of gross out farley brothers humor and the rest of this film was actually the uh the like food food uh poisoning sort of scene oh god yeah he's like in and out of her being like deliriously sick he is like cleaning up and it's like she keeps waking up and seeing that i thought that was a pretty perfect thing the exact opposite is the like dinner scene where he suddenly he is a he is a teacher which is a very good profession he is it's also weird that the film like really really rags on teachers like her friends are like ew you're he's basically going out poor. with a homeless person yeah. like it's like wait he's a teacher and bought like that's a that's that's well for, like yes he doesn't make a ton of money but like it's a teacher. How are you hating on teachers? It also <laughs> asks, the best of us. It begs the question what that man does on weekday afternoon games if he's that dedicated to the Yeah, team. I that does not that also I was like, wow, they are there are day games that he is just like, is he just skipping out on I don't know. It's it, that the scene with the dinner though, it's so weird and gross, and he like acts like such a suddenly child. And he doesn't act like that like almost anywhere else. Even yeah. the scene that in spring training, he just acts like a like a frat bro. A bro, yeah. Yeah, which is like he's with a bunch of people. It's it's context what works. That suddenly he's like meeting the parents and he becomes a completely different character just for the humor of it. And it just yeah. didn't work as like a funny scene. And it just was like, very it, weird. It would have taken like I get that he needs to embarrass them, but yeah. 
but it, in real life, it would have taken three seconds for him to like turn around to the table behind him and be like, Hey guys, I'm so sorry, but I've got the game taped. Would you mind just not talking about it? Like right. any right. normal person would be like, yeah, dude, absolutely. Um, and know. I feel like that's sort of the film that it's built up is that like that fandom amongst Boston, like they would all be like, absolutely. Like yeah. we will all defend your right to like, you know, like Watch it nobody, later. everybody stops. Yeah. Uh, I think there's ways to, there is, I think with that scene and the scene you're mentioning, there's ways to do those a little bit better. Yeah. Like a, there, there's a way to get to that point without the way they did it. Um, I, but overall, the what do you think of the ending? Like that's again, the next big baseball centric, but rom-com so centric, the big I run to the- love the ending. I love it because it's insane, the idea of it, but it's handled almost, I, I don't want to say realistically, because but it is kind of because she drops onto the field she would have broken her ankles first of all she drops down like off the side of the monster wearing high heels um breaks both of the heels takes them off and goes for a sprint across the field i do believe on field security would be slow enough to not be able to catch her because i mean they've shown throughout the course of the movie she's very into fitness like she's at at gym classes all the time she's a pretty quick lady uh she hides behind johnny damon at one point and hits one of the security guys with her purse which is hilarious um because like one of the male friends they're watching it on like espn or whatever at a bar and they're like she got to touch johnny damon's butt and like the doctor who they've already kind of insinuated might be gay is like cool um but like so they're they're she's on a runner but i love that you can like see people's reactions like her parents are watching it at home and like all of these things and it's just it's an airport run moment right? Like it's that romantic running through an airport, catching them before they take that big flight out of your life moment, except it's done on a baseball field. And it's really cute where she like makes him rip up the contract or she does the contract Mm -hmm. rip. And then, then at the end, she's like, I'm going to get arrested now. (laughs) Yeah. It's very, it's very cute. It works. Uh, I like the, I like that building up too of the, the, t- cause you, okay. So it's the airport running scene. So it's, instead of boarding the airplane, it's, he's about to sign over yeah. a contract to her, her friend's lawyer, husband, husband yeah. his tickets, right? These tickets that are passed down from his uncle and everybody around him is furious is telling him that he's, yeah, he's making a horrible decision. They also do mention how like that is not legal. And they try, they do like take the moment to actually go around how like that you can't just pass like that. those tickets. I like, that's like a, they could have just ignored that, but I like that they do that. But it also means that, that that contract is definitely not legally binding. That is basically nothing. He could wake up the next day and say, uh, no. Um, but, but I do like that they went through the trouble of like actually setting up like the rules of, of season ticket holding. Like, oh, that's. Kind of neat. Yeah, because honestly, uh, before the movie, like I didn't know you could leave your season tickets to a family member in your will. Like, yeah. I guess that's got to be very specific to very specific types of tickets. Like, yeah. those are obviously lower bowl, right by the dugout. Like, they're insane tickets. Um, I've got a similar story about, like, selling tickets. Uh, it was the 2008 ALCS. I was not at the game, but it was game seven. My... My father and his business partner, they had season tickets on the front row on the visitor's dugout in 2008. And it was game seven, and they were in their seats, and there were two Red Sox fans behind them. And I, and I know for a fact my dad would not make this, this same financial decision today, but the two Red Sox fans behind them offered them $500 each 
so a thousand total dollars to just switch seats to go from the first row to the second row because the Red Sox fans they were there for the ALCS they wanted to be on the front row of their team's dugout but my my dad and his business partner having sat in that front row with the same group of Rays fans all season they did not let them sell them and switch seats just to go back from one row my dad's told me today he goes I would not make that same decision but and I wouldn't implore you to make that decision but in that moment game seven uh I guess they they held strong that's good Never you gotta been do it. You can't. You can't break fans, that. Man. And then, and then they won. That's why. Like that. Clearly, five hundred dollars. Nope, not worth it. Uh, so let yeah, let's let's. That's a good transition. We sort of talked a little bit about the baseball. Baseball in this movie is very on. It's the setting. It's not the forefront. The last film, there's actually like you know baseball play. This you see it. It's all actually kind of live footage. It's yeah. not live, but like recorded of those of those games which is i think actually really quite cool like they, I, they I would had argue a lot of access <laughs> compared to the scout you could not remove baseball from this film and still have a movie and no, no. It, it's so integral to it and it is it feels it, it isn't necessarily like a shoot the rodeo thing because obviously the red sox had to give them quite a lot of this access um but it is it's a visual ode to baseball like they linger yes on little kids in baseball caps and and pretzels and like all of the things it was weird to see the green monster with that little amount of advertising on it and no seats crazy and no seats it's such a it's like well yeah that's right yeah but it was weird to see like there was nothing on it now you'd go and there'd be like a dewalt poster or like 19 Mm -hmm. different ads up on it but um it it's such a lovely visual like it's something you would see on a really well done fan tour of of a thing posted on youtube like it's just nothing but like little b-roll and it's so good like it's and i think what makes the film elevates it from just being maybe a very a very forgettable rom-com between two you know lesser popular i mean drew barrymore is more popular than jimmy fallon in terms of like you know comedic actors and everything yeah really but but that that level of baseball being such an ode to the idea of being in a city that's rich with baseball, the idea that people have are fans and various layers, but it's it's around everybody. It surrounds us. It envelops us. Um, so I mentioned at the beginning, you know, or you mentioned that my wife's a, a huge fan of this film. She was actually going to school in in the Northeast during this time, and she was the Red Sox fan. Uh, and, and this whole year just is still like very much, it, it, this film brings her back to that time of with, with her friends, uh, seeing, you know, it's just the, the feeling of being in the Northeast and the Red Sox winning and, and that season and that team, she still has her Doug Mirabelli jersey uh, to this day and uh, her favorite player um, who had a really good season. I was looking up, the the war for this for the, our net our question oh. coming up later and Doug Mirabelli pretty solid season good job Doug Mirabelli um but like two wins it's like wow backup catcher pretty good uh he but this the the feeling of what this film kind of brings you the idea of and at the time it's hard to think of the Red Sox now as anything other than a expensive juggernaut that wins all the time and are really awful and crude about it at this point, they were like the Chicago Cubs. They were yep. a long-suffering, 
cursed franchise who had only seen just her like you know hilarious failure on the biggest moments they were the buffalo bills they were the cubs they were the this this long suffering so the idea of this magical season for everybody it really feels it, it, it works it actually really does work and also getting to watch the film with my wife and her telling stories of that season and hearing those over the like that's that's it is that extra little magical thing that kind of was able to put away my you know irrational hatred of the entire franchise <laughs> for for the two-hour runtime <laughs> but no more than that and now I'm back right on it. I'm like, and screw them. Pivot. Uh, I have two things I wanted to call out as being stuff I really, really liked. Um, one of them was the scene. And I think this is kind of towing the line of what you were talking about, of like the humor being too much and not quite in line with the movie. But this scene really worked for me. And it's the scene where Ben's like, I don't need her. What am I going to do? And then it goes to like the breakup scene in his apartment where he's sitting there and he's clearly just been eating wings and hasn't cleaned himself and has tinfoil up in the windows and his buddies break in the door and they realize that he has gotten like black market tapes of the Buckner game and he is watching them in the dark on repeat over and over and over and like they're treating it like it's heroin like they go yes, up and they're like yes, I thought we exact, took this from yeah. you where did you get this where this did you get this you. And like, this isn't gonna like, help. do you have any more of these? Like he's got like this secret stash. Yeah, of that, that was, I, that was pretty funny. I, that was, I, I definitely laughed at that. I that loved that. that. And that then there's a couple lines. Like we talked about the writing in this being so good. Um, there's a scene where he's trying to explain to Lindsay how much he likes it. And she goes through this whole kind of icky thing about how she's not like those girls, which I didn't love. It's like, I'm not like other girls. I don't care. And she turns out to be exactly like that. But like the entire concept of not like other girls is so stupid because it's predicated entirely on being a woman that men like, like yeah. as opposed to yeah. just being who you are. But there's a line where he talks about how much he loves the team. And she's like, no, that's cool. I get it. You love them. And he says, it's good for your soul to invest in something you can't control. And I'm like, there's something so beautiful about that line. And then uh, it kind of in line with one of the lines I really liked about the scout, where it's just like half of the guys on that field lose every game, like every time. Like, it's just a beautiful summary is where he says, you can either hit a curveball or you can't. And it's just like, you can't, it's talk, he's talking about how you can't fake it in baseball. Like there's no, there's no faking it. There's no, you know. He, he says you can have a lucky game or maybe even a lucky season, but not a lucky career. Yeah. And then he, he's, he actually says it's like math. Like you can't, you can't get through the whole thing. Faking it. I'm like, yeah, it is. It's absolutely math. And I really, really enjoyed that. I thought that was such a good way of summarizing it. Like you can, you, you can't fake your way through an entire baseball career. And, you know, I, I liked that a lot. So you're right that we, we're talking about, we usually talk about how baseball is in the movie and baseball is definitely background noise to this movie, mm -hmm. but it's a really well done background noise. I, I, want, I want to say one thing that I thought was a really missed opportunity in the film. Uh, and, and, I, and it's not like looking back on an older film that could have done it, but I think this is a perfect even era, but it definitely would be done now. So, so, Drew Barrymore's character is super into math and numbers. She even has that line early on uh, to that one kid about talking about how do you ever just like re rearrange numbers in your head and all that. At the time that the Red Sox are here, they have hired Bill James. This is all with the Oakland A's. 
I like the idea of that. What if she ends up liking the sp- like baseball, but from the numbers part, she is a numbers geek. This is something my wife and I were talking about like, oh, this is like kind of like a perfect opportunity to be like, she loves the sport in a very different way. And in my headcanon, the the breakup would be that she is really into sabermetrics and he is very traditional and he's saying bunt (laughs) and she's like, no, you should never bunt. And then they break up and uh, that would be, you know, yeah. And it could never work because of that. So they just she's think. justifying a guy who just walks a lot. And like she's exactly. just like, he gets her favorite, her favorite player is like Kevin Euclid. She's like, this yeah. guy's going the Greek, somewhere. Greek gotta walks, man. And and he's like, nah, he, he bats funny. I don't, I don't think he's going to go anywhere. Uh, yeah. Now that, that's my, that's the missed opportunity of this film. Is that I like it. Him. Yeah. I like um, it a lot. Overall, like this is an interesting baseball movie because it is sort of in the background. And obviously it does sort of change. Like the film is being shot during the season a lot, but then obviously they do pick up some ending stuff because the Red Sox end up coming back from 3-0 down against the Yankees. Yankees, the only team ever to blow a 3-0 lead still. And uh, they then they end up winning the World Series and of course Jimmy Fallon and uh Drew Barrymore on the actual field celebrating with them getting that that footage um so it is interesting that the the ending of the movie can work if they lose yeah um but it it actually kind of works better as this weird magical winning ending where everything works out yeah they kind of like had to tack all the extras on right because the way it's right. written and the way it was initially filmed yeah, okay, they're going to keep losing because they're a losing team. It would be writing a love story to the Cubs anytime before 2016, right? Like, that's the joke, is that, you know, they're, they're, they, it brought them together, but it couldn't help the team win. But they, they had to add this whole established voiceover with the character, like the sponge guy who's doing the voiceover at the beginning does the thing of like, oh, they had to go to St. Louis and they had to do all of these things. And and so it gets added on. I, I questioned, and you're saying that they actually were on the field. I thought maybe that might've just been like a green screen add-on, but were they actually oh, there? They were hundred percent on the field. Cause I remember watching the world series and then they, they cut over to like Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore and in the, in the post on the field celebration, I was like, what the heck is happening? That's kind of what uh, and then and then later on it came out. I was like, oh yeah, they're filming a, f- a movie called Fever Pitch, and they were like, that must be it. Like nobody knew why they were there, and obviously they had a working relationship with the Red Sox to get so yeah. much footage. Uh, but they were like, hey, can we have? Can we get tickets in the crowd? Can we get our camera people to kind of guerrilla style this and also get on the field and celebrate? And they did. So yeah, that's Amazing. a real. That is in. The actual field, like there, when they're when there's, I forget which player is like goes over and like Jimmy Fallon and him are like, ah, we won. That's like literal. That person is just like turning around, just like celebrating with anybody and being like, I don't know who that is. Was that a guy from TV? I don't know. <laughs> whatever. Who cares? SL, what's happening? I'm already I'm already drunk. Uh, yeah. So that's a that's a kind of a weird little interesting um, <laughs> interesting add-on. Wait, Darby, are you impl- are you implying that Red Sox players sometimes get drunk before the games end? He's implying uh, that they're really just, big lightweights and can get drunk very quickly after winning. Yeah, just the, <laughs> the hint of it. And they're in the Bobby Valentine era. Um, but it is interesting, though, that this film ends pretty much where you would imagine it just being like, it doesn't matter if they win or lose. But the book has Arsenal, well, it, it, real life, it, Arsenal wins, like a very long, you know, they, they hadn't won 
and then they did win and that's sort of part of that book so it's interesting that this movie is done and then another team ends up winning in real life Classic Fun fact. Life, life imitating art imitating life yeah this this movie was based off the book and then movie that was created about arsenal in the year 2004 Arsenal finished off the only season in Premier League history where a team where they did not lose a game. Out of 38 games, they won or drew every single game and won the championship also in 2004. Wow. Nick Hornby is a he's just writing reality like bending reality. I like uh, it. Yeah, interesting stuff. Does that um, mean that every independent record store everywhere owner everywhere is finding their true love? Yeah, they have, they have five really bad breakups yeah. as well as then finding their true love. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if you're um, listening to this, an independent record store, it's not too late. It's coming for you too. You just have to go back and talk to all of your exes. It's fine. Um, so do we want to talk about which player we would pick for our team? Because I know mine. Okay, yes. I'm excited about this. You go first, though. Well, I, I mean, the obvious choice, just based on the amount of screen time, would have been Johnny Damon. But I'm not picking Johnny Damon, even though it would have been a, a homecoming, because he was a former Ray. Uh, mm-hmm. I gotta go with the named player, who is the best of the best in all of baseball, as far as this movie is concerned. And I'm picking Mariano Rivera. Ooh, going with reliever, It's yeah. mentioned by name several times shown on screen quite a bit i had to explain to my non-baseball loving friend about 42 and how he was the first one the last one to get to wear it actively the first guy to be put into the hall of fame unanimously and i was like "Mm, he's good good he's good yeah so that'd be my pick i that's a good pick that's a good pick i was looking at this and i was really like going over uh, like that team has a lot of good pitching obviously yeah has pedro martinez i was like okay it's got manny ramirez you know that's a manny another could could redo what the Rays had for just twelve games, uh, twelve very forgettable games, um, but but both Pedro and Manny are kind of on the back end of their career. They still Pedro has one more really good year with the Mets, um, but then it's kind of it. And then Manny is has some okay years, but it's kind of going down. I'm gonna go because it's adding them from this era onto the Rays. So I want I want some longe- longevity. And Mariano could probably he he pitched another, so that's a great choice because he would be a lockdown reliever. Um, two guys that I think are in there would be David Ortiz, big poppy. Cause this is just a year after his breakout. So yeah. this is pretty much, you get basically all prime. prime David, or he was my poppy. other pick, but, or I do love me some Kevin Euclid and I feel like he's very crazy. And this is his, his rookie breakout year, or he's not even a breakout. He doesn't have a great 2004, but he, a fairly nice career after that, but it's David Ortiz. Like he, you know, he's like a, five to six win DH for the next 10 years. So yeah, I'll, I'll go with Big Poppy. Speaking of- The anti razy I feel like I should take Euclid, but I'll go with Big Poppies. I like it. I feel like Lindsay would have taken Euclid and Ben would have taken David Ortiz. And I think- It's a little Ben. Have... I'm just, I'm just, you know, it's got <laughs> a little ben, ben in me. Ben at heart. Brett, what about you? Well, I'm going to take a former Ray and I think he was- Oh, this is definitely like his prime. Maybe one of his best seasons ever. Uh, he's got the nicest ass in the league. It's Johnny Damon. Uh, and then he can play center field, too. He wouldn't have to DH like he did for the Rays. So stick him in the outfield. <laughs> Give me Johnny Damon off this uh, Red Sox team. So he, he does get... He's the only player who's actually, like, used in the film. Like, I think they do some background and you can see some guys. But, like, he's the only one who has, like, you know a cast or are, are talking to him with that finest ass in baseball line and Lindsay he has a does, scene 
he does. Well, yeah, he's got he has the to be shot at, at the dinner. So he's got the scene where he's eating dinner out, and mm-hmm. then he's got the scene in the the outfield where Lindsay hides behind him and hits the security guard. So he is the the only player to actively appear in the narrative of the movie. That that scene where she runs across the field was filmed after a game in uh. which the Red Sox played the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. No, that's fun. And the crowd like could like they gave the crowd the opportunity to stay after the game. They said like half the crowd stayed. I uh, would. Pretty cool. Yeah. I know that they when they were feeling like rookie of the year, I think it was a very similar thing. It was like a Cubs afternoon game. Um, and they filmed it and then it was like, do you guys want to hang out? Cause we're going to, you know, film some stuff. And they'd, they'd done a couple like announcement shots on the overhead, um, using the like big player names and stuff like that. And then they, they shot a bit of the crowd afterwards. So it's kind of fun when teams actually like play into it. Um, I don't know. I'm, I don't know if we're going to watch angels in the outfield. I don't know if that qualifies as a bad movie or if it's a classic or not. Um, but I'd be curious to look into how much access the angels gave to that. If anybody thought we were too negative about the scout, no. uh, this is the one for you and just in time for Valentine's Day. Um, and, you know, I think it's a sweet little rom-com. And if you like baseball and can stand two hours of Red Sox, um, I think even if you're not you are a Rays fan, even if you're a fan of any other team, I think you can manage it. Like it doesn't, even though it is very in your face, it's also, we've talked about it, 16 years old. It feels it feels right and it doesn't feel bad. It's not, at least they didn't do the Yankees. Exactly. You could, you could have substituted in the Cubs here. Like it could be the Cubs. Uh, You can just pretend long suffering, very passionate fan base. Uh, And it's an era when the Red Sox fandom wasn't as insufferable as they are now. So (laughs) I think the Cubs are making that same heel turn. The the championships, it's what happens. It's, it's dangerous. The, the Astros did the same thing. The Astros were an underdog team <laughs> and it was really fun. I, I once said, number. and this was maybe 10 years ago, I said, you know, it would be a really great world series would be a Cubs Astros world series, because can you imagine that underdog head to head? And I think that they won the next two years in a row, <laughs> like just hilarious to see how those teams turned everything around and then became the bad guys. So maybe we don't want a world series. No, I do want a world series. We got it. We got to add to the Champa Bay. We got to do it. All right. Well, that has been Who's on Worst, our second episode. Uh, Thank you, Brett. Thank you, Darby. And thank everybody for listening. We hope you'll join us again in two weeks. We don't have what's our next movie. I think last time we we were thinking for love of the game. Do we want to put it up to a poll? We could do that. We should do a poll. We're going to do a poll. Over, we'll put put the we'll put it up on Twitter. We'll also embed the poll in uh, our post for this episode. So if you want to vote uh, on for we'll love of the game, and we'll come up with a couple others. Uh, Trevor Bauer just announced for love of the game as one of his favorite baseball movies. So that immediately makes me like it less, and that's hard to do considering how much I already didn't like it. So <laughs> there you have it. We'll put a poll up and we'll get your input on what we should watch next time. And we'll see you guys again in a couple weeks. Thanks so much. Bye.